Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click ratings and reviews. You can also follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugary sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Sally fallon Morell. She is co-founder and president of the Weston A. Price Foundation and is co-author of Nourishing Traditions and Eat Fat, Lose Fat. Sally, it's great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Sally, it's great to be talking with you. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you got interested in the subject of nutrition. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask me that, and I have to kind of dig into my memory. I would have to say that I've always been interested in food and nutrition. I mm-hmm. uh, always loved to cook, and I was interested in nutrition partially because I had some health problems of my own. <clears throat> and um, in the early 70s, I read Dr. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, and that really <clears throat> started me on, uh, I guess you could say, my life's work. I raised my children according to the principles in that book, and <clears throat> I can tell you that they really work. My kids were really healthy. Uh, they didn't need braces to straighten their teeth. They were, you know, they just kind of sailed through childhood and adolescence. Uh, without any problems. And that's that's the way childhood should be. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you got interested in sort of this ancestral type diet way before it became popular. I know in recent years, yes. you know, paleo would, has would become popular. So. Yeah, so right, what, right. was there a lot of interest in this um, at the time when you were researching or were you no, just kind of on your really, own? No, there really wasn't. Dr. Price's work was largely unknown. And um, I would say that the interest has built uh, because of nourishing tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what I did in nourishing traditions was take the work of Dr. Price and his basic principle, which is the principle of the fat-soluble vitamins, and I added to that uh, things that he actually didn't uh, discuss, but which are you know very much backed by research, such as the use of lacto-fermented foods, the widespread use of bone broths in traditional cultures, the um, proper preparation of grains. Mm-hmm. And you know, what, what, what were some of the big findings that you found different between uh, like a typical American diet? I mean, you mentioned fermented foods and um, what properly prepared grains. Right. What, what kind of things did he find among amongst people living their traditional or eating their traditional diet. Okay, so you know, people say, well, what you know, what's the key point of Dr. Price? And the book is actually a little bit confusing because he traveled all over the world and he found healthy people eating a high animal food diet, and he found healthy people whose animal foods were pretty much limited to insects and little fish and things like that in Africa. So you go from the South Seas to the frozen North. He found people living on dairy foods and grains in Switzerland on seafood and grains in the Outer Hebrides, and just there was just such a variety of diets and such a variety of macronutrient uh, balances mm-hmm. that, well, people say, well, you know, so how do we figure out what a healthy diet is? Right. And the key, the key finding of Dr. Price was no matter where they were in the world, no matter how much or how little animal foods they were eating, all of these diets were extremely high in these three vitamins, A, D, and K, 
which are not found in many foods. They're found in animal fats, um, uh, fish liver oils, fish eggs, uh, organ meats, and the butter and egg yolks of animals that have been outside in the sunlight on pasture. Mm. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in the West, uh, we have to work very hard to get those vitamins in our diet because they've largely disappeared either because people are not eating these foods anymore or because of industrial agriculture, which puts our animals inside. Mm -hmm. And uh, also there are a lot of practices in the Western diet that deplete these vitamins. Uh, too much lean protein rapidly depletes vitamin A. Taking vitamin D supplements rapidly depletes vitamin A. Um, a lot of exercise will deplete vitamin A. And then if you take a lot of vitamin A, that will deplete vitamin D. But my big concern about the paleo diet as it is expressed by the major writers, and I know there's a lot of variety, mm -hmm. is that um, it's actually very depleting of vitamin A. Okay. Lean meat, uh, vitamin D supplements, lots of exercise, and no sources of vitamin A in the diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that's or one... Or very few. Let's, let's put this out. I want to be accurate here. Very few sources of vitamin A in the diet. Okay, yeah. You know, when I first um, mm -hmm. started hearing about paleo and, and, and tried to get into it, you know, Lauren Cardane, one of the things he mentions in his paleo for athletes is that the best source of protein is lean meats from something like uh, turkey breast. And so I was just eating a ton of lean meats. But later on, I, after reading some of the stuff on Weston A. Price Foundation website, it sounds like that actually fats from animal sources are pretty healthy and there were a big part of ancestral diets. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. From what we know, I mean, from descriptions of people who've lived with the modern equivalent of Paleolithic people, people who've lived with the Eskimos, people who've lived with the uh, North American uh, Indians, uh, when they describe their diet, first of all, the last thing they would eat is lean meat. Uh, they did not want lean meat. They knew that lean meat would make them sick, and if all they had was lean meat, they just didn't eat it. So when they killed an animal, the first thing they, well, first of all, they hunted animals selectively. They wanted the older, let's say the older buffalo or the older caribou, because these animals uh, for their lifetime were building up fat along the spine, along the back. And typical older animal would give them about 80 pounds of fat. That's what they wanted. And um, so when they killed an animal, the first thing they did was eat the fatty organs, the brain, the liver, the tongue, and the marrow. And marrow is about 90% fat. Mm. And then they, uh, what they usually did was take the stomach of the animal and shred up all the other organs, the lungs and, uh, you know, the stomach. Uh, and um, then they'd shred up the fat and they'd put the blood in there and they would uh, sort of smoke that over a fire. And that's that would be their typical meal. Mm -hmm. uh, if they wanted to make a storage food, they did save the lean meat in that case and all of the fat. And the lean meat was dried and then powdered and put into these leather bags that they sewed up from, you know, the animal skin. And then the fat was poured in to uh, to fill up the bag and, you know, to saturate the lean meat. Mm -hmm. So that was, a, again, uh, the way they were eating that lean meat was with a lot of fat. Okay. So um, this emphasis on lean meat is can really get you in trouble. I know that... Uh, people start out on the paleo diet and oftentimes they feel a lot better because they, they're getting off, you know, processed foods and sugars and all that. And that's quite understandable. But after some time, um, problems start to appear. Um, first of all, fatigue, mm -hmm. uh, digestive problems. We're hearing about a lot of gout on people on the paleo diet. So, and I, I believe this is first and foremost due to the lack of fat. Okay. 
So you, you mentioned there that vitamin D um, t- supplementing with too much can actually start to deplete your vitamin A. Um, where What are some natural sources of vitamin D that, that ancestral humans would get? Right. Uh, they would get it from the fats, from some organ meats, uh, organ meats that we don't eat, like the stomach lining, uh, from blood, and then from the more Neolithic people, say egg yolks, butter, and the fish liver oils, first and foremost, the fish liver oils. And the beauty of the fish liver oils is that they have the A and D in balance, and we need both those vitamins together. If we get too much A, then we will develop a deficiency of D, and if we get too much D, we develop a deficiency of vitamin A. And too much D without the vitamin A and without the vitamin K uh, can lead to calcification of the organs, calcifications of the arteries, so it can lead to heart disease. Okay. And, you know, fish oils is something that I was interested in talking to you about because a lot of people say not to take those because they're high in polyunsaturated fats, which can go rancid easily. What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, this is a really good point. I, I want to distinguish between fish oils and fish liver oils. To me, there's no particular purpose in taking the fish oils. They are lots of polyunsaturates, as you say. They um, are, the way they're processed, uh, you know, they're boiled at 230 degrees for hours. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, these oils are not going to be fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, we do recommend this one brand of fermented cod liver oil, which is cold processed. The, the number one fatty acid is a monounsaturated fatty acid. Okay. Uh, plus, the vitamin A is, serves as an antioxidant. So the precious uh, polyunsaturates like the DHA and the um, EPA... Uh, mm-hmm. will be protected and you can because the fermented cod liver oil is so high in A and D you don't have to take much so you're not going to overdose on the polyunsaturates okay and the other point about the polyunsaturates is that you need to take them in a context of a diet with a lot of saturated fat because that saturated fat uh, protects you against the oxidation of the polyunsaturates it helps you use them appropriately and keep them in the tissues where they belong. There's a real synergism between the saturated fats and the very fragile, highly uh, unsaturated fats that we get from fish liver oils. Okay. And then you mentioned uh, fermented fish liver oils. What is the advantage to having it fermented? Well, this is how the oils were prepared in Paleolithic times. Uh, Just to give you an example, in the South Seas, we know that they would kill a shark and they brought the livers, well, they brought the whole shark back <clears throat> and they would put the liver inside the stomach and hang it up in the trees and the livers would ferment and the oil would come out and that was the fermented oil. Oh, and wow. they highly valued that for fertility and for good health. <clears throat> in the ancient times when people caught fish, the uh, fillets were either eaten immediately or they were smoked and dried and salted. And the guts were all put in a barrel with the uh, seawater, the salt water, and allowed to ferment. And what came out the bottom of the barrel was a liquid, which is the universal seasoning. It was called liquidum, sort of like Worcestershire sauce, mm-hmm. was used to season everything. And then the oil, which is basically the oil from the livers of the fish, rose to the top. Okay. And so that was fermented also. And we also know that in Norway and Scandinavia, the fermented oils were the dark oils. They were the most prized. They were considered the healthiest. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of confirmation uh, from traditional cultures that fermentation was the way it was done. 
and um, fermentation allows you to get the oil out of the cells because by fermenting the cells burst and oil comes out and it allows you to do that without chemicals or without heat, which are the okay. other two ways of getting the oil out of the cell. Okay. You know, you're, you're talking a lot about the importance of organ meats and, you know, that's something when I first started on the paleo diet that I hadn't really heard a lot about. Why is it so important to eat organ meats and say, I know you talked about your children as well staying healthy. Sometimes it's recommended that pregnant women stay away from liver, but uh, what, no, tell me about the importance <laughs> of those meats. Yeah, it's really a shame. We've had this anti-liver campaign for 40, 50 years, and yet before the Second World War, everyone was uh, told to eat liver at least once a week, and especially pregnant women were told to eat liver once a week. Really? And, uh, you know, the uh, Cordain and Wolf and these major paleolithic writers, and I'm not talking about all of them. I know that some of them do recognize the importance of organ meats. Mm -hmm. But I just don't understand how they can leave these out of their book when it is so obvious from all of the reports about traditional cultures and paleolithic cultures that they ate the organ meat. That's what they prize the most. So what do you get in organ meats? You get the most nutritious parts of the animal. Typically, the vitamins and minerals are 10 to 100 to even 1,000 times greater in the organ meats compared to the muscle meats, and particularly these fat-soluble vitamins. Now, in my opinion, I think the best organ meats are poultry, um, chicken, duck, goose, turkey, liver, because they have such a nice balance of A, D, and K. Mm. Whereas the beef liver is very high in vitamin A, and there's very little vitamin D there. So we do what uh, traditional cultures do. We cook that liver in lard or bacon fat, which is a good source of vitamin D. Mm. And then you get that nice balance. That's why, I think that's why liver tastes so good when it's cooked in the right kind of fat. Okay. And is it important? But again, you, get... you, you want, I just, I'm sorry. You just you don't want to just eat calf's liver with all its vitamin A without having a source of vitamin D in your diet. Okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. And is, is the is poultry liver does that have to be pastured poultry and is that one of the only sources of vitamin K or are there others? Uh, there's lots of sources of vitamin K. Of the, surprisingly, the number one source is natto, uh, which is a kind of stinky fermented soy food from. Japan. It's a very acquired taste, but it is the mm. highest source of vitamin K. Goose liver, and we're guessing duck liver, bird liver, uh, goose fat, you know, all of these poultry livers. We know that emu oil is very high in vitamin K. But if for us, you know, Westerners, really the best source is cheese. Uh, hard cheeses are an excellent source, not only because you have vitamin K and the butter fat going into the cheese, but more vitamin K is formed during the fermentation process. Mm. So cheese is just a wonderful food uh, for Westerners. And, of course, this is completely left out of the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, another thing that's left out of the paleo diet is grains. And a lot of people have been avoiding grains lately. Mm -hmm. What's the Western A price take on grains? Well, I can understand. The, the concerns about grains and a lot of people are very sensitive to grains especially to wheat especially if they've been eating them improperly for a long period of time they just create havoc in the gut mm -hmm. foods like uh, extruded breakfast cereals and granola and very rough whole grain products are extremely hard to digest and usually cause an overgrowth of candida. And one of the things I discovered in when I was working on Nourishing Traditions was some uh, books that were actually in French, which talked about how important it is to either soak your grains or make a sourdough bread from the grains. This is tantamount to fermentation. And this pre-digests the grains for us. You know, animals that eat grains have several stomachs. Mm -hmm. And they ferment the grains inside there in one of those stomachs. And we don't have that. <laughs> we don't have a fermentation tank in our bodies. 
Right. So traditional cultures, and honestly, it is so fascinating that all over the world, traditional cultures prepared their grains with some kind of fermentation process. Um, and then they ate them, and they were not only not harmful, they were actually very nutrient-dense foods because when you ferment the grains, the vitamin content goes way up. Okay. Uh, one of the most fascinating things, diet, to me, is African diet. Now, there's lots of variations on the African diet, but they tend to be very low in protein. The sources of animal protein would be insects, dried fish, <clears throat> dried shrimp. So low in protein, <clears throat> but these foods are very high in vitamins A, D, and K. And then lots of fermented grains, especially as fermented porridges or beverages, like fermented beers. And these are, again, an acquired taste. They, they pretty much smell like vomit. I mean, they're <laughs> really sour. But they drink these by the gallon. So, again, uh, because they're fermented, they would probably be a great source of vitamin K okay. and all the B vitamins, vitamin C, and everything. Now, to me, this African diet is fascinating. <clears throat> it's not the way Westerners like to eat, but it just goes to show that we just can't set hard and fast rules about how much protein we should be eating or whether or not we should be eating grains and, and mm. that kind of thing. Yeah, if you know, have, yeah, I'm, I'm well, interrupting it. If you have the fat soluble activators mm -hmm. in really generous amounts in your diet, pretty much any diet is going to work for you. Okay, you know, I, I like the way how you you mentioned that towards the end is that there's this traditional wisdom that we find that's not always with us in um, our modern scientific studies. But you know, it's it's probably prudent to look at the past and see how people ate in the past because there's just so much wisdom that they had to figure out on their own. And and you know, that was Dr. Price's attitude, and that's why. We love him because he said, you know, uh, we cannot let this wisdom die. Uh, these primitive people have a lot more to teach us than we have to teach them. And what they have to teach us is a matter of life and death, mm -hmm. a matter of survival of the species. Mm. Uh, you know, the other thing I want to say is, and there was just a symposium about this, um, human beings have eaten everything. They've eaten frogs, they've eaten grains, they've eaten cheese and dairy products. Uh, throughout the world, they've eaten just about everything. And we like to say about our diet that we're, this is not a diet where we tell you, no, you can't have this, no, you can't have grains, no, you can't have dairy, no, you can't have fat. No, you can't have salt. You know, the Cordain is zero salt. In this right. Diet. Mm -hmm. uh, but here is how. How you can have all these foods in your diet. You can have dairy. should be raw, full fat, and from pastured animals. You can have grains, and you just need to be prepared properly. You can have meat, but you need to eat meat with the fat. Uh, you know, you can have all these wonderful fats and rich foods. Um, you just need to be careful about where they come from and how they're prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a liberating attitude. It's, it's something that makes people happy about their food. Definitely. And not look at food as some kind of, um, you know, renunciation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. But, you know, one of the things I've been reluctant to try is fermenting grains because I don't know how to do it. And it seems like it would take a lot of time. Can you tell our listeners what that's like? Really easy. Let's just take oatmeal. You, um, night before, you do have to think ahead. Night before, you put your oatmeal in some warm water with something acidic, a tablespoon or two of lemon juice, vinegar, yogurt, or whey, and just leave it on your warm kitchen counter overnight. And then mm -hmm. the next day, you cook your oatmeal with some salt. And I promise you, you'll find that that oatmeal gives you a lot of energy and stamina. It's easy to digest. I used to think I was allergic to oats because I just cooked them up and didn't soak them. And by mid-morning, I would have the all the symptoms of toxic shock. I would be in a sweat and nauseous and, and um, 
I'm dizzy. <laughs> mm. And um, so I thought, oh, I must be allergic to oats. And I've had a lot of people tell me they've had the same reaction to oats. But when I um, learned to soak them, um, I didn't have this reaction at all. Now, as far as wheat is concerned, um, you want re- a real genuine sourdough bread. And it's hard to find breads that are ap- actually genuine sourdough. A lot of them, they just add vinegar for a sour taste, you know. But okay. Genuine sourdough bread. And I am I'm sensitive to gluten. I understand people's problems with gluten. If I have... Uh, improperly prepared bread or bread with gluten added, I have a very bad day. <laughs> the whole mm. day is a bad day <laughs> with a headache and a, a stomach ache. But I find if I eat genuine sourdough bread, I have no problems at okay. all. And it's just a lovely thing to be able to include in the diet. Mm-hmm. Another difference between paleo and Weston A. Price is this idea of um, making your own bone broth. What yes. What is the importance of that? Well, and here again, if you go throughout the world, there's almost every culture made use of the bones. Uh, either they ground up the bones of little animals and added to their food, or they made bone broth. And the bone broths have a lot of wonderful properties, very supportive of, of joint health, of course. But the glycine in bone broth balances the methionine in meat uh, for uh, mental balance, and you get a lot, um, you get a lot calmer, uh, uh, easy, easier to deal with stress when you have these bone broths in your diet. Oh wow! Yeah, very, very interesting how the bone broth um, contributes to mental balance and mental health. Mm-hmm. A bone broth is very healing to the gut, and we have popularized the GAPS diet. For exactly for people who can't do grains and dairy uh, to help the gut heal, so eventually they would be able to uh, do some raw dairy and properly prepared grains in their diet. Mm-hmm. I'm particularly concerned about children starting out with this notion that they can't have this or they can't have this, and it kind of sets them apart from their friends and their peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, birthday parties become a tremendous embarrassment to them because they can't have the cake, for example. And I'm not saying cake's a good thing, but um, you want to bring up children who can live in the world, who can even live uh, with some of the bad things in the world, like the occasional birthday cake. Mm-hmm. Not children who feel that they um, are uh, different, uh, can't can't uh, participate fully in the world. In the world. So it seems like you might be saying that if you if you eat these traditional fermented foods and bone broth, you're going to have a healthy gut, so you can tolerate that occasional birthday piece of birthday yes, cake. Birthday cake, or you know, a meal out in the restaurant, um, and so forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And is making bone broth a difficult process? How- Once again, it's it's really easy to me. The easiest way you just save up your chicken bones from your chicken, or you buy some necks and backs, maybe some feet and head if you can get those. Put them in a slow cooker, fill it with water, a splash of vinegar, uh, cut up onion, and cook it overnight at low. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you've got a beautiful bone broth the next morning. Oh, great. And uh, you use that. You can just drink it in a mug. You you could cook your oatmeal in it. You could um, use it for sauces and gravies. And we're big on these healthy bone broth-based sauces, which really make your meat taste delicious. Mm -hmm. How about salts? You know, is that something that we need to be concerned about? Well, human beings need, adults need at least a teaspoon and a half of salt today, per day to satisfy their sodium requirements. Uh, the government wants us to cut that back to three quarters, which would lead to salt starvation. And the main paleo writers, the main paleo writers uh, have virtually no salt in their diets. And mm-hmm. that's, that can lead to uh, big, big problems. Uh, just to give you an example, they did a study with put people on low salt diets or no salt diets. 
within one week, 100% of the participants had developed insulin resistance. Really? Okay. In just one week of no salt. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be on a no salt diet, you're going to end up with terrible cravings for salt. And then you end up eating things that aren't good for you, like potato chips, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> to get right. your salt. Uh, so we definitely need salt. All traditional cultures had salt. Uh, we recommend unrefined salt that has all the minerals in it, magnesium and all the trace minerals in it. But mm-hmm. even if you can only get table salt, it's, it's it's very important to have salt in your diet. And this is one of the good things about the modern era. Salt is plentiful and inexpensive. You know, back in the Middle Ages and back you know in the early days, salt was um, rare and expensive, and that's how governments controlled their populations by providing or withholding salt. Okay, okay. You know, uh, we've also heard a lot about uh, the role of carbohydrates in the body in, the, in recent years and, and whether it's good to have a high-carb diet or a low-carb diet. What does Weston A. Price say about carbohydrates? You know, he never mentioned carbohydrates. You know, uh, Price never talked about protein, fat, and carbohydrates mm-hmm. uh, or the ideal balance or anything like that. He just described these different diets. Price was focused on the vitamins and minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really fascinating when you look at this. So you have the Eskimo diet pretty much zero carbs. Uh, Maybe they were eating some of the contents of the stomachs of their animals. Mm -hmm. And then you have the African diet, which was very high in carbs. So there's a great range. And I think most people feel comfortable, feel best in the West with a small amount of carbs in their diet. Um, Too many carbs, uh, most of us tend to gain weight. uh, But I think we all feel better and have fewer cravings with a small amount of carbs. And I'm fascinated by uh, new research indicating that we need carbohydrates for thyroid function. Mm -hmm. I don't don't quite understand how that works, but um, that's very interesting to me. Right. Um, and, And some people tell me that they have better blood sugar stabilization when they have some carbs in their diet. If they just have protein and fat, they get uh, low blood sugar, which to me is very interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, something you mentioned... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 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 No, no. Oh, okay. Well, something you mentioned at the beginning is that your children were all really healthy and they had straight teeth. Is that something that's common for people eating a a vitamin-rich diet? Yes. And this is, of course, this is what Dr. Price was looking at. He was looking at the shape of the jaw and the straightness of the teeth. And that's how he knew he'd found a healthy population when they had straight teeth. He knew that their bodies had been formed properly, and he showed that this had to do with these fat-soluble vitamins in the diet, along with adequate calcium, of course. Okay. By the way, that's another concern I have about the paleo diet. Where is your calcium coming from? Right. You're not doing dairy. You're not crushing up little bones. You're not <laughs> making bone broth. And so you're only getting calcium from your plant foods, and it's very, very difficult to get adequate calcium from plant foods. But anyway, um, I, I needed braces. My brothers and sisters, we all needed braces. And my parents had naturally straight teeth. Neither of them needed braces. They grew up on cod liver oil and liver and all these uh, traditional foods. And I can remember my dad at dinner table saying, I just don't understand it. How come your mom and I uh, have straight teeth and all you kids need braces? <laughs> so he kind of um, you know, piqued my curiosity by asking that question. Mm-hmm. And I was able to reverse the trend to physical degeneration in myself with this nutrient-dense diet with plenty of good fats, with cod liver oil, and none. all of my 
children had naturally straight teeth. And that's, oh, wow. that's what's normal. That's uh, uh, the way it's supposed to be. Now, whether or not my grandchildren will have naturally straight teeth, that depends on what my children do and whether they think what I've taught them is important or not. <laughs> and, you know, there's a certain point where you have to just step back and uh, see what they do. Have you been able to convince your kids to follow the same type of diet? Well, my daughter, who has two uh, children, has followed this diet, and these children are just gorgeous, and they're mm. so healthy and smart and looks like they'll have straight teeth. Um, so far, they do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I have another grandchild on the way, and, and that's a, from one of my sons, and we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. <laughs> you know, when we were talking about the importance of bone broth, um, is calcium, will that get leached from the bones into the broth? A little bit does. Um, we were actually surprised, however. We did um, some analyses of the bone broth, and it wasn't a great source of calcium. Mm. But what the bone broth does is help build the cartilage. And, you know, most of your bones is a sort of cartilage or uh, uh, skeleton. Um, and so, uh, and then the um, the calcium is built into that. So um, I, I would say cartilage framework, mm-hmm. and collagen framework. And so the um, calcium is built in, and phosphorus, of course, is built into that. So I think the two go together to build good, strong bones. Mm-hmm. Well, Sally, it's been great talking with you today about the difference between paleo and Weston A. Price and how we can include some of these healthy foods in our diet. Um, where should we go to find out more? Thank you for asking. Uh, WestonAPrice.org is our website, W-E-S-T-O-N-A-P-R-I-C-E.org. And if you're new to our website, I realize it's a huge website. It can be overwhelming. On the right-hand side is something that says take a tour, and that's what I would suggest for newcomers, take a tour of the website. We also have on our homepage a link to an article on the differences between the Paleo diet and the Weston A. Price diet, and that gives you a very good summary of our principles. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks again. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, keep up the good work. You've been listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like Audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner or click on the link displayed on the app right now. Thanks for listening.